Then a congratulations to the graduates. So this morning, as we celebrate the transition of these graduates into the next stage of their life, I would like us to take some time and consider a question together. Now, this is a question we must all wrestle with, whether we're graduates, whether we're adults, or or whether we're students. How do you make wise decisions? Now, graduates, you've shared with us some decisions that you've made regarding your plans for after graduation. And as such, you've already walked through this process in one significant area in your life. This question is one that you will face again. Will you get a job this summer? And if so, which one? Will you take out student loans? Who will your new friends be? Where will you live? Do you get a new room? Do you get a roommate? If so, who, who are they going to be? Are, are you going to stick with the major that you've chosen, or, or will you change it? Who will you date? Will you marry them? Now, see, as junior hires and senior hires, this applies to you too. And this question may come up in situations like these. What, what friends should I hang out with? How should I treat those I, I don't hang with? Should I get a job? Should I be part of sports or, or a different extracurricular activity? Should I date? Who should I date? Should I get a new phone? Now, see, as adults, we feel the weight of these situations even more as we consider situations like these. And this is true for both singles as, far as, if you, as well as if you're married. Do I change jobs? If so, how will it affect others? Should I move? Should I buy? Or should I rent? Do I buy a new car? Do I buy a boat? When I retire, what should I do when I do? And as parents, we might also ask questions like these. What school do we send our kids to? Should we have more kids? Should my kids get jobs? Do I make enough money to provide what I want for the family? And what do we want to use our retirement years for? In each of these situations, we seek to make wise decisions. The question is, how do we? Now, to help answer this question, we're going to look at one of the big moments in the history of the people of Israel. And we're going to look at what lenses on life they use to arrive at their decisions. And we're going to apply that to our lives. Now, this big moment can be found in chapters 13 and 14 of the book of Numbers. And if you have your Bibles with you, or if you have a Bible app on your phone, I would encourage you to turn there, as I'm only going to be putting up select passages from these two chapters. But it's a a big story, and you, you can see a lot in there, so I encourage you to open up to that. So here's the overarching view. Here's where we're picking up in the story of the people of Israel. See, after saving them from slavery to the Egyptians entering into a covenant relationship with them at Mount Sinai, and constantly providing food, water, protection, and most of all, his own presence, God has now brought his people up to the southern boundary of the 
of the land that God promised to Abraham would one day belong to his descendants. So while they're camping there, God shows up and gives Moses a mission. Have one leader within each of the 12 tribes of Israel go into the land to spy it out and report back to the people what they find. So after gathering these 12 guys together, Moses gives them some very specific instructions on what they should look for, and then then he sends them out. And here is the instructions. They're to go through the entire length of the promised land, and they're to see what the land is like. Is, Is the land good, or is it bad? Is it rich, or is it poor? Are there trees there? Huge deal, because they live in a desert climate. Are there trees there, or are there no trees? And they're also sent to see what the people there are like. Are they strong, or are they weak? Are there a whole bunch of them? Are there only a few of them? Do they live in fortified cities, or do they live in campgrounds and small villages? And when they're checking it out, Moses challenges them, encourages them to be of good courage. Oh, and um, in case you forget, uh, we'd really like you to pick up some souvenirs. So while you're out, um, could you bring something back? And I I must say, um, the choice of the spies to pick up fruits to bring it back probably wouldn't be my first choice of a souvenir. But, you know, hey, it's it's late summer and and grapes were in. So, hey, this is what they picked up. So, so the guys head out, and, and a little under a month and a half later, they walk back into the camp. And they walk back in carrying figs, their pomegranates, and, and one grape cluster, a single grape cluster, big enough that two guys are bringing it in on a pole. And then they make this report. And then I'm going to read from this, and this will be up on the screen as well. And they told him, so this is the spies, this is the spies speaking, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and and this, this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and their cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. In other words, there's people everywhere, they're huge, and we're in trouble. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let's go up at once and occupy it, and we are well able to overcome it. You got to love Caleb's enthusiasm right there. We can do it, guys. Come on. We got this. God's got this. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we had gone to spy it out, it is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Enoch, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Hearing this report, the people of Israel came to a decision. 
Here's what the people responded after hearing this report. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us up into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. See, they decide that God is just a cruel tease and was bringing them to the land to die. So preferring death in Egypt or in the wilderness, the people ultimately reject God and start looking for someone else to bring them back to Egypt. But not all the spies felt this way. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, came to an entirely different conclusion. And and here's what we hear in verses 7 through 10. The land which we pass through to spy it out, it is an exceedingly good land. Uh, the, The Hebrew words are there, good, good. It is beyond measure in goodness. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And then the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of God appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. See, after hearing the report from these two guys the people decided it was actually better to kill Joshua and Caleb than listen to them. And and only God's intervention saved their lives. Now, let's pause the story here and look at how two sets of people seeing and experiencing the same things in the promised land came to such different conclusions about what is practical, what is wise, and what is best. Here's the key point this morning. And we're going to keep building upon it as we go through the rest of our time. Practical issues are always discipleship issues. See, for the spies, both saw the practical realities in front of them. There was an exceedingly good land. It was the land of promise. On the other side, they saw the fortified cities and the might of the people that lived there. Yet what made all the difference in the world in how they approached the practical issues, the practical realities in front of them, is how they connected it with spiritual issues. Were they viewing the practical realities in front of them in light of God's heart and purposes? Now, I can only imagine, if we were to somehow have a time machine where we could travel back in time and ask each of the spies the question, this question, were they um, responding to the practical realities in lights of God's heart and purposes, we would hear all of them, all of them, respond with a resounding yes. And here's why I believe that. Both sides of this conversation based their actions directly on their beliefs about God. In chapter 14, in the first part of verse 3, the people of Israel ask this. 
why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? And they go on to mention the danger to their wives and kids and make the practical decision to elect a new leader and go back to Egypt. So seeing the dangers ahead of them, the people concluded that God's heart and purpose was to bring them into the land he, pr- he promised to them, only to have them slaughtered. So they turned their hearts away from God and focused on themselves and how they could handle the practical issues in front of them by themselves. Yet even as these people are organizing to rebel against God, two spies spoke up, Joshua and Caleb, who would say that they also based their confidence on the heart and purposes of God. And we see these in verses 7 through 9. They mentioned that the land they saw was exceedingly, overflowingly good, and that it flows with milk and honey. Now that phrasing actually directly quotes God's promised message that he had Moses deliver to the people before they ever left Egypt. And so there was no reason to fear the people of the land. Why? Because God is with them, and he he has shown his goodness time and time and time again already, and he will deliver on his promises. So they plead with the people, do not turn away, do not rebel. But the people don't listen and actually go as far as to consider stoning him. Now, here's a point for your notes. How we make decisions is always shaped by our view of God. See, just as the people of Israel's view of God led them to the decisions that they did about the promising land, the same is true about our own decision-making process. How we view God shapes our decisions. Do we see God as distant and irrelevant? Then God will be irrelevant in our decision-making process. Is God a good moral cop? Then God will only care that, that we make the right moral choices and really has nothing to do with anything else. Or maybe we can view the situation like this. It's too important to us to not have complete control over. See, what we're saying is that, like the Israelites, God isn't trustworthy, so we have to take over. But but what if we follow Joshua and Caleb's example in our life, and instead of seeing what could be ahead of us as too big or hard, we saw that God is a good father that we could trust even in a land of giants, even in a land where there's battle, but the land he's bringing us to is overflowing with his goodness, even when we may not see all the details. We may not have all the details figured out or realize what's ahead. Graduates, adults, students, just because we can't see the how doesn't mean that God cannot. And just because we cannot see the how doesn't mean he doesn't care. In fact, the more we get to know him, to walk with him, we find it's actually just the opposite. Will we trust him? Because after all, 
practical issues are always discipleship issues. Now, now here's another point for your notes. When we trust God with decisions, kingdom priorities outweigh material priorities. Now, see, this is where the distance in, between Joshua and Caleb stands out as their decision-making is not even in the, in the same ballpark as the rest of the people of Israel. So what were the priorities of the people, and what were the priorities of Joshua and Caleb? So if we were to jump back and look at the people's response in verse 3 of chapter 14, we, might, we would see this. What they desire the most is safety. They see the people of the, of the land and recognize that it's not safe. They will have to go into battle, something that they're not used to. And the enemy in front of them is powerful and huge. In fact, if they were to put it all on a pro-con list and weigh it out, there really is no practical or physical way that they could ever defeat the people in the promised land. Bluntly speaking, they would have seen going into the land as foolish and suicidal. So what did they do? They started packing up to go back to Egypt because at least there they were safe. That was their practical and material priority, and it drove their decision-making, even if it meant slavery in order to get it. Now, we've got to ask this question. Does that mean that Joshua and Caleb did not want to be safe? I think we could say that they had that desire as well. But the kingdom priorities outweighed the material priority of safety in their lives. So, so what was their priority? It was following God where he was leading them and helping others do the same. And they recognized they actually had a lot of influence as they were speaking up. They had the influence of where are we going to go? How are we going to respond? And they said, we can trust God, even recognizing that it may have meant that they could have gotten stoned by their own people. Their priorities were God-centered. Now, imagine, if you will, what it might have been like if Joshua and Caleb made a pro-con list before going into the promised land. It might have looked something like this. Pro, God is with us. Con, it'll be dangerous. Pro, God is our safety. Con, there are giants there. Pro, God is good and faithful. Con, we will be unable to defeat these people with what we have. Pro, God can't be defeated by giants. Con, not going in may actually mean we're turning our backs on God. Pro, God's promised this land to us. Pro, it, it's a good land. Pro, God is our protection, whatever happens. Pro, God has a covenant relationship with us. Pro, God's purpose actually isn't just about us. Pro, all the people, even our own, We'll get to see the faithfulness of God if we go in. 
and have the opportunity to trust and love him. Now, while the number of pros here are many, the reality is, if even there was only one pro, God is with us, it would still have outweighed all the cons. Because when we trust God with decisions, kingdom priorities outweigh material priorities. And Joshua and Caleb's decision was truly wise in God's eyes. Yet from a material perspective, including the people of Israel, it was ridiculous, impractical, foolish, and even suicidal. You really can't get more different than that. But trusting God gave Joshua and Caleb confidence, and doubting God gave the spies and the people only fear. So how do we apply this to our lives? Let's jump back and answer the question that we started with. How do we make wise decisions? We let our priorities be set based on God's. Which may mean, and I have to recognize this for my own life as well, it may mean we need to go back and check our priorities. Graduates. One example of this may mean that you'll be faced with the choice between taking tons of hours of work to become debt-free, or it may actually mean you're taking on debt because you're investing in developing your relationship with God and others' relationships with God as well. It may mean you intentionally don't work hours on Sunday to intentionally become a part of a new church family where you'll be living. Investing your time, your life, into that local gathering of believers. Students. Here's one example of what it might look like for you. When you're playing sports, what is your priority on and off the field? Is it to be the best player out there? Is it to have fun? Make friends? Maybe one day get a scholarship for college? Or is the overarching picture the greater priority to become a godly influencer in the lives of others on the team? Adults, are we pursuing a safe life? One where the relationships we are most concerned about is only our family, sharing our time, our energy, our hearts with them, and keeping them and ourselves safe and protected? Or are we looking to selflessly and riskily even, at times, open our hearts and lives up, our time and energy, to prioritize others and to trust that God will be with us and provide us all we need. And if we're married, our family's needs, even at the cost sometimes of our safety, sometimes of our time, and sometimes of our energy, which of these holds more weight in our lives and why? Because the reality is, all of them hold risks and mean that the decisions that we make sometimes will seem impractical. And they won't always be the safe choice. But when kingdom priorities outweigh material priorities, we get to see God's goodness more and more 
even and especially in a land of giants and of giant challenges. So here's an application point for your notes. Remember that practical issues are always discipleship issues. Now, I even left an extra space in your notes for you to write it down again because it it really is that important. Walking with Jesus means that we're in the process of getting to know his heart. And as we respond to him, our hearts and priorities align with his. And one phrase that we use here a lot is that discipleship is to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to worship Jesus, and to turn around and to help others do the same. So when we're thinking about buying a car or or changing jobs or or the abilities that we have, the time we've been given, the hours of work or play that we use, we are more and more looking at these things through God's eyes, looking at every decision with the priority of how each can open a door to bring ourselves and others closer to him even if sometimes it means it might be risky, even if sometimes it means it may not be all that safe or look all that safe, and even if sometimes it means it, it'll cost us. Now here's, here's how the story of the spies ends. God grants the people their request and leads them back to the safety of the desert. And, and they actually miss out on the promised land. And when the people realize that that is what God is going to do, where he is going to lead them, and they realize that their priorities are off, even though God isn't with them, they try to go into the promised land anyway, only to be badly defeated and chased back out into the desert. For the second day in a row, they saw that practical issues were discipleship issues. Now, for us, God has great things ahead for our lives, more than we can imagine, and sometimes different than what we can imagine. There may even be giants ahead, but God can and does show himself to be good and trustworthy because he is a good, loving father who truly cares about us. He's the picture of what fatherhood ultimately is to look like, not the other way around. So let's turn to him, trust him, And let kingdom priorities outweigh the material priorities, not forgetting that practical issues are always discipleship issues. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a good, loving Father, that you care for us, that you walk with us, that you share your heart with us, and that your heart is good, that you want to pour out your love on us, much the same as you pour out your love on your Son, Jesus. And Father, we ask that we, would cap, that we would be able to see that more and more in our lives, that we would be drawn more and more to you. Even if sometimes just from the inside out, aligning our priorities and our decisions with yours, that you would help us to trust you and walk with you, even if we don't always have all the details. And Father, show yourself time and time again and help us to know as we walk with you that you are time and time again proving and showing that you are a good, loving heavenly father who does not abandon us pray this in your name